You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. I want us to look at John 17 this morning, and I believe the Lord's going to stretch your heart this morning. There are some things in Christianity that can only be experienced with other people in community. And so if, we, if our Christianity is only in the lens of an individual faith, then we're doing it wrong. I know that may rub you wrong, or you're processing that, your wheels are turning, I can see it in your eyes. But when we say yes to Christ as an individual, which I 100% am an affirmation of, no one can do that for you. No one can say, say yes to Jesus for you. Your parents can't, your spouse can't, your friend can't. They can nudge you, they can encourage you, but at the end of the day, it has to be your willful, volitional decision to follow Christ. But as soon as you say, I do, like a marriage vow, as soon as you say yes to following Jesus, you are grafted into something that's bigger than you. And so individualism at that point dies. Your individual pursuit dies at the cross and you're grafted into something bigger than you. Yes, in eternity, but there has to be a local expression of that as well. Your theology cannot just be of some eternal distant past or eternal distant horizon in the future to come. Your theology actually has to come to bear on your life now. Otherwise, it's just dead religion. And so your Christianity has to be fleshed out with other people. And I would contend this morning, I would propose this morning that the Lord has actually reserved his better glory for people in community. He has, he has reserved his, his goodness to be displayed in very precious, beautiful, better ways in the context of the church, in the context of community, in the context of people actually submitting and giving themselves one to another. And, and so this morning, I am sorry if you've experienced hurt from other people who've claimed the name of Christ, I do say I'm sorry. If you have experienced offense or betrayal or hypocrisy or the two-facedness that happens within humanity, if you've experienced that in the confines of organized church, I do say, I'm sorry. Please receive my apology on, the, on behalf of, like the, the Christ, uh, on behalf of Christianity as a whole. Like I say that sincerely, I'm sorry. But don't allow that to hijack your faith. Don't allow that to be the, the primary lens by which you view the Lord's intentions, the Lord's purposes, the Lord's design. We're gonna see the Lord's intention. And we always, want our, we always want our standards to be given to us through scripture and not our experiences, amen? amen. Not based on you know, what, what we've had done to us that can begin to shade our lens, shade our, our view of things. We want our lens to be shaded by scripture alone for us to see with clarity 2020 and then to live out our faith accordingly. So I want us to look at John chapter 17. Oswald Chambers said something 70 years ago, the in 1946 he wrote this. And I believe it, what he said 70 years ago has only become more and more true every year that's passed since. But he said self-realization has now surpassed God realization. And he's talking about in the, in the context of the church. Self-realization has now surpassed God realization, which Christianity is God realization. 
our eyes being opened to eternal realities. And he went on to say that where individuality exists, Christ ceases to be Lord. Where individuality is supreme, Christ ceases to be Lord. And he went on to say that the reason is, is because the voice of our own personal concerns clouds out the voice of God. And in reality, he he said earlier in that that writing, he said where self-realization is, the voice of God is an embarrassment. So where where we're so entrenched in our own self-discovery, when we're confronted with the realities of God, it becomes an embarrassment to our own personal opinions and preferences and concerns that, that go on inside of us. So those things die at the cross. I'm not saying your personal preferences and opinions can't be voiced. Please come. I hear them all the time. So bring them to me. I love to hear them. You can grab a cup of coffee. I'd love to hear them. But, but at the end of the day, they are submitted to the lordship of King Jesus. They're submitted at the cross. Say, what does Christ say? What is he calling us to? And uh, there's so much to this, but... I want us to look at John 17, starting in verse 20. So this is the longest recorded prayer of our Savior. The longest recorded prayer of Jesus. So you, you begin to see in the prayer of Jesus his priorities, what he, what he longs for, and he's praying for this future day. Here in verse 20, he's going to be praying for you and I. These are the ones that will come to know him because of the witness of the disciples. So verse 20, he's praying for us. And this is his prayer. He says, I do not ask for these only, meaning the disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they, may, that they may be one, even as you, sorry, they may be one, even as we are one. Let me reread that. This is the key verse of the entire morning. The glory that you have given me, from the, the, the Father is given to the, to the Son, I have given to them, that they may be one, as we are one. Verse 23, I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Verse 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundations of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you and these know you. And these know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Let me pray for this moment, because I believe the Lord is going to minister to our hearts. Lord, I pray that your glory be seen this morning. Your goodness, your beauty. For those that have been hurt or offended or even just disappointed, by human frailty and human weakness. I pray that that would be washed in the water of your word. Now, Lord, there would be a new standard that arises in our hearts and it would be the standard of your scripture, standard of your truth, the standard of which Christ himself purchased on our behalf. 
a glorious, beautiful church, a glorious, beautiful people devoted to your ways. I pray that that would be priority. I pray that that would be central in our minds and our hearts. In your mighty name, amen. So as I said earlier, there there are some things that Christ has reserved for us to experience in community. And what Christ just prayed there, he prayed for you and I, that there would be a future day where these ones would be so fixed on Christ himself, would be so fixed on God, that there would be, as a byproduct, a unity that arises. And that unity would be the witness to the world. And the order of all those things matters tremendously. We can't just be focused on reaching the world without first humbling ourselves to understand Christ's words here, which are the witness to the world will be that we will be one. And what is the source of our oneness? It's not talking a whole lot about unity, but it's actually looking at the Lord. He says, the glory that that you have given me, Father, I am giving to them. So our focus is on the glory of the Lord. And it's on, it's, it's, it's a byproduct of our singular focus on the glory of the Lord that we become one in heart. That, that, that this oneness descends upon us because our eyes are fixed on Jesus. And as a byproduct of that, the world has a clear witness of how beautiful God is. So the key word for this morning is that word glory because it's, it's, it's at the foundational level to understanding all of this. The word glory is not a word that we use in our everyday language. The word glory is a word from the Bible of which we really, really need to understand. So the word glory is a word that can mean beauty, the beauty of the Lord, the glory of the Lord. It can mean the goodness of the Lord. It can mean the fame of the Lord. So our focus is on the beauty of the Lord on the goodness of the Lord. That's the source of our unity. And so I'm gonna actually um, lead us in going back in the Gospel of John, just because there is a, a biblical interpretation skill called the, the rule of firsts, where you go back and you look at when a word is first used to help you understand the meaning of that word and the, the, the kind of the entomology, the, the use of that word in scripture. And so we're gonna do that this morning. You can get your kind of nerd glasses on because we're gonna, we're gonna do it this morning. Um, but before we do that, just, just think of this. Romans 3.23, it says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of the Lord. So you were created for the beauty of the Lord. You were created for the goodness of God. Just think of the creation story. Humanity was created in the image of God. We were created, man and uh, male and female, we were created. The Lord called it very good. And we lived in this continual communion with God, basking in his goodness. And, And he even delighted in the goodness that was created in us that reflects his goodness. I mean, it's this beautiful reciprocating cycle of, the goodness of God, all reflecting his fame, his goodness. Amen, Liam. (laughs) So we've fallen from that in our own willful rebellion. I mean, go back to the beginning, I mean, Genesis chapter three. We, We chose this path to pursue our own goodness. 
which is, which is evil. We, we pursued our own fame. We, per, we pursued our own fame and, uh, and it was to our demise. So we've all fallen short of the goodness of the Lord. Um, so now turn to John chapter one. I just want us to understand this word glory because everything hinges on it this morning. John chapter one. We'll just read all 17 chapters here again. Look at verse 14. Look at verse 14. John chapter one, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his what? His glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So when you struggle, when your mind struggles to understand that word glory, replace it with beauty or replace it with fame. We, we saw the beauty of God in the person of Jesus. And so in God's wisdom, in his sovereign wisdom, his plan was co- to come and woo our hearts by coming and displaying his goodness or his beauty in the person of Jesus to us. God became flesh, displayed the beauty of God to us. Fast forward um, one chapter to look at John chapter two. Verse 11, Jesus had just performed his first miracle in Cana. He turned water into wine, the prodding of his mom. You gotta love a mom that that pushes her sons, right? Right, mothers? Mary was pushing Jesus to perform this miracle to supply wine so that the the host wouldn't be humiliated at this wedding. And, And God in his goodness Look at, look at how, how it's put here in verse 11. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his what? Glory. His glory. And his disciples believed in him. So central to the miracles and the signs and wonders of Jesus is the glory of God or the beauty of God. Miracles and the signs and wonders of Christ himself were meant to manifest or display the beauty of God. It's meant to do something that pierces our hearts that says, and forces us to say, God is good. Even though everything in my life has maybe said otherwise, then we have an encounter with Jesus himself in miraculous fashion sometimes, through signs and wonders, and our hearts say, God is good. Maybe, perhaps, my, my life experiences will not have the day. But then Christ intervenes and we say, God is good. What I love about the miracles of Christ is they speak our language. Think of the temporary nature of this miracle. We're talking about wine that is going to be drank and then expelled within hours, right? Think of the, the, the miracle of Jesus multiplying food. We're talking about temporary things. In even grander ways, you know, God shows up in miraculous power and heals bodies. But we all know that these are temporary things. Even scripture says that. But this body that you and I have, this is just a tent. It's a temporary dwelling place. And we long for this day where we'll, we'll be a, a spiritual house that lives with God in an even greater sense. So these are temporary things. But the whole 
vein of miracles in our day and in Christ's day is to intervene in our temporary worlds to communicate a witness that God is good. God is really beautiful. God is worthy of his fame. He's truly beautiful. And so that's what started there in John chapter two, verse 11. He manifested his beauty through something as silly as turning water into wine, through something as simple as turning and multiplying fish and loaves. Let's look at John chapter five, verse 44. How can you believe, this is what it says, how can you believe when you receive what? Glory from one another. And do not seek the glory that comes only, comes from only God. He's speaking in the context of calling out the teachers of the law who were missing Christ in scripture. They knew scripture in and out. They could memorize it. I mean, literally. They ate and slept and uh, lived within the revelation of scripture and what we would consider the Old Testament, what we'd call the Old Testament. They knew it so well, but yet they didn't see the greatest revelation that all of that scripture was revealing, which is Jesus himself. And in, instead, they had fallen into the trap of which we are all familiar and we ourselves fall into the same trap, the trap of religion that seeks to bolster our own glory, right? We, we, we like to build up this facade or this look of religiosity that fools other people, but in that we're receiving our only reward. There's no fruit, there's no reward in religion in that form, in, in, a, dead, in a dead sense, that's for performance for the glory of other people. And that's what Jesus is calling out. And so it is. This is the source of everything we're gonna talk about this morning. The glory of the church is centered around a people that are looking at the Lord. And if we're looking at others or we're trying to get other people to look at us, we will fall miserably short. That's when we end up messing with other people's lives and causing hurt and distractions and offenses and and bitterness and disappointment. But when we keep our eyes on the Lord, something descends upon a people. It's a heavenly oneness that Christ is talking about in John 17. It's a heavenly oneness. And from that, the world will see a witness of what Christ is really like. So let's turn back to John 17 now. You kind of understand that word glory a little better? Now you can start saying glory. <laughs> glory is the beauty of the Lord, the goodness of the Lord, the fame of Jesus. And so now let's read verse 22 and 23 again. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. <laughs> so the beauty that the, that the father entrusted Jesus with, he is giving to us. That's a big deal. We could just have an altar call right now. That's a humbling reality that God entrusts to a people his beauty, his goodness. He entrusts to us a responsibility to reflect his goodness and his beauty. That they may be one even as we are one. 
That's his intention. That's where he's leading us. As Paul puts it from glory to glory, he's leading us into this, this place of growing in unity. Verse 23, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. So that's the Lord's plan for redeeming people unto himself. It's actually the same plan as in the gospels that people might get a glimpse of how beautiful God is. Now in this age though, it's to do it through a people. Through a people whose focus is on the head, Christ himself. So the focus is still the same, but now Christ has ascended to the heavenlies and he's given us his spirit. Now he's called us to live in this place of responsible obedience, seeking to reflect his goodness as with, our, with our eyes fixed on him. Everything becomes so much easier when we, when we live out our days in this way. And when we try to usurp or uh, tinker with the Lord's order, things go awry. So in summary, there's kind of, there's three O's here, okay? This is how I'm structuring in my mind. There's three O's. We have one focus, that's Christ himself. So one focus leads to oneness, leads to a unity, which leads to actually impacting others. That's the third O is others. The problem is we think we're smarter than God and we, we try to change the order of these things, but the order is everything. Everything is in the order of this. So there can be a whole lot of talk about unity and people love to talk about unity. But can I tell you in heaven, unity is not a value. Unity is a byproduct of the focus of heaven, which is Christ himself. And so if you hear people championing unity a whole lot, it means they're trying to operate in their flesh. Obviously I'm for unity, so hear my heart. But I'm, I'm all, if people are trumpeting unity all the time, what they're really trying to trumpet is uniformity and conformity to the will of the leader more often than not. But when people are trumpeting, look at Christ, look at Christ, look at how amazing he is. Look at how good he is. Everything else starts to become pretty irrelevant. When your eyes are down and you're looking at yourself, you start to look at the, a stain in the carpet, or hey, I don't really like the color of this carpet, or my neighbor's singing really loud, or um, I don't really like the way he said that or the way the music is, right? All of our preferences and our opinions get so accentuated. But when our eyes are on Christ, all of those things become so distant. They fade to the background when Christ is at the foreground, in the foreground. Amen? So the order is everything. There can also be a very subtle temptation to, to scoot right to the third step, which is the Lord's heart for others. That's an easy one for the church, the trap for the church to fall into, where we, we go after a missional call, a missional heart to reach other people. But at the source of it is not the Lord's way of reaching the others, which is a, a piercing witness of what he is truly like, which is going to be through a people. And so we can't scoot to the third step without first making our hearts solely fixed on the Lord, allowing him to entrust us with a oneness and a unity that only comes 
from him and a singular focus on him and that witness permeating a community, permeating a neighborhood, permeating a city, resting upon a region. That's the Lord's plan. It's his way. And so that one can be kind of subtle for people because everyone wants to be compassionate and wants to serve people. But if it's not sourced by the Lord's, by the Lord's plan, by the Lord's uh, way of allowing his witness to be seen, it will fall short. It really will. The Lord's will is for his witness to be seen through a people submitted to, to each other, submitted um, in community. So I just want to highlight these um, each one of these kind of ideas. A singular focus on Christ. This changes everything. This is the answer for all of our differences. This is the answer for all of the differences in our personalities and ethnic backgrounds and socioeconomic differences. The answer is one focused on Christ himself who's the same Lord of the rich and the poor. He's the same Lord of Jew and Greek. He is Christ the Lord. He is our focus. In a, in a much lesser way, I'll illustrate it in this way, but me and my wife, we just surpassed the date which was the first anniversary of the passing of my father-in-law. And um, his name is Cal Thompson. And I know for those that have, have lost loved ones, you know, those that first year is a year of firsts. Everything that year, you're thinking in reference to that person not being there, and it can be so painful. Um, and I talked to Dave, who's you know lost his amazing wife now a little over a year ago as well. So those are those are difficult moments of firsts. We just passed the first. He had his celebration of life on July 7th, uh, so of 2022. And so it was hard. It was. Uh, not hard for me to think back and recall on that week that we celebrated his life. But that, that celebration of life week was so beautiful. And you see it oftentimes as you call people to look at eternity and consider how temporary life is. You see in that gathering with thousands of people gathered to celebrate his life, such a wide array of people. There was the country folk, there were the inner city people. <laughs> There was the rich and there were the poor. There were, there, was all, there were sinners and saints, honestly. Cal brought them all. In fact, his last couple of years on earth, he worked at Starbucks, really as just a heart to connect with more people because he just loved connecting with people. And, and the Starbucks in our city, in our hometown of Fargo, they all shut down for his celebration of life so that 40 plus of them could come and attend the ceremony. It was pretty amazing witness. Um, that's why I say sinners and saints alike. It was, it was the, the wide array but because there was one single unifying force. It was him. I say that as a such, such a lesser example. But it makes sense that if we prioritize Christ and we exalt him, all sorts of arrays of people can be drawn as they're submitted to one singular Lord, one singular King, Jesus Christ. It's such a powerful, powerful way in which the Lord has sought to reveal himself. And, you know, Paul uses the analogy in 1 Corinthians 12 of that of a body. And so he, he describes you and I as all the parts, the um, lesser glorious parts of the body. 
he himself as the glory of the body, which is the face, not my face. <laughs> you, you all are so much more beautiful. Your face is your glory, so it is in, in the body, the body of Christ. He is our glory. It's Christ. Our eyes, our eyes are on him. And there's this diversity of representation of hands and feet and ears and fingers and fingernails and all sorts of body parts. But all of our eyes are on him. If we start looking and griping about the ear, comparing ourselves to the ear, we begin to veer into lesser ways, into lesser things. But when our eyes are on the face himself, on, on the head, Christ, everything makes sense. And the Lord draws together all sorts of different people. You look at the disciples, what an eclectic group. The unifying force was Christ himself. And you see, Jesus was not talking about unity all that often. He was the unifier. So we don't need to sit and talk about unity. We don't have to sing kumbaya and look at each other navel gazing. We don't. We need to look at the Lord. And as our, as our eyes are fixed on him, that's why we give so much time to worship. People tell me all the time, you guys sing too long. I say we don't. We can sing longer, honestly, because it takes us a while. And I, I see it every time we gather. If we were to stop after 12 minutes, we would not tap into that place of breakthrough that begins to see Jesus as preeminent. But there's this moment of time that we pass into as we actually look at the Lord and turn our eyes away from the temporary things of the, of the world and look at the Lord. That is true unity, which leads to the second thing, which is oneness. We have one focus on the Lord as the head. It leads to oneness. It leads to a true unity, a true sense of oneness. There's this really amazing passage. You can go back and look at it yourself in the book of Ezra. It's like Ezra chapter three or something. But the Lord is beginning to stir up his people to rebuild the temple. And it says in Ezra, I believe it's chapter three, it says they began to move as one man for the purpose of building the Lord's temple. So from the eyes of heaven, this is the scriptural narrative, like the scriptural description, the heavenly description of what's happening. It looked like they were moving as one single man, but there was thousands. The verses right prior to it says how they, they, drew, they drew the musicians together and the builders together and the priests and the, the scribes. They drew them all together. So all these different people, different functions, different giftings, different interests, different opinions, different preferences. They all bowed their knees to one single focus and they moved as one man. They weren't trumpeting unity. They were trumping the focus, the call, the person of, I mean, actually their mission was the same as ours, that God would be central to them because they were building the temple, that his presence would be central to them. And then the, the, the byproduct of that, not the focus, but the byproduct was oneness. Amen? And then the, the third reality of that is a clear witness to the world around us. That's where we make impact. That's where others actually see the beauty of God, the goodness of God. They see what we are created for. He prays earlier in John 17. He says that this is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. So this is what, what's, what precedes all of his prayers in John 17 what we read earlier. And his plan for eternal life 
to uh, emanate to all of humanity, to be given a chance to all of humanity. And his, his way of allowing that to be seen is through a people like you and I, a humble ragtag group like you and I, submitted to a king by the spirit of God being unified and from that having a clear witness to the world around us. I remember a, a Jesus school student telling me about their experience in our church community. So this would have been like last August and he had, he had church, he had grown, grown up in and around the church, but um, obviously he was really just beginning to say yes to Jesus in so many ways and wanting to come to Jesus school here in Ames. He said his first experience in our church was um, startling in a sense because he said he'd never been in a church environment where so many people's intent focus was on the Lord. He'd never been in an environment when people were singing, it felt like they were singing straight to the Lord. And that's the, the impact that it had, in, had on him was a, a conviction to look at the Lord more intently. He himself, he said, there must be something I'm missing. And if we're bored in our Christianity, yeah, the problem is, is us. And you see somebody else is super passionate for the Lord. I'm telling you, they're seeing something you're not. So look at the Lord. That's the Lord's plan for stoking that invitation of the gospel in humanity. It's us. I'm going to call Scott to come forward to the keys because I want us to respond to the Lord. I want to share one more story. This pattern is so, uh, this pattern is seen so clearly on the college campus. Uh, you know, when I was working with Kyle, if I know Alex sees it the same way. Students are most impacted by the witness of unified community. The love of God that's displayed through a people that are knit together by the Spirit of God. That's, that's the overwhelming witness on the campus. It's not that they don't do outreaches at times, they do. Acts of compassion are phenomenal. Obviously, evangelism is a way in which the Lord pierces hearts. We still believe for signs and wonders and miracles. We pray for those things time and time again. But we see this witness be the thing that wins people's hearts and is that obviously the, the inroads to true discipleship is community. And so I remember a, a couple that, that were dating that started coming to our, to Chi Alpha back in the day. This is probably 2012. Names are Brandon and Skyler. And they didn't know the Lord. Honestly, they didn't have a grid even for a true vibrant Christian faith at all. They grew up with a, an Iowa framework of uh, man-made religion, dead religion. But they were invited to Chi Alpha by a friend. And they started coming and... Um, in fact, they were both invited from different friends and they both ended up coming. And they just began to hang around. The thing that began to soften their heart for the goodness of God was this community of believers, which was a whole spectrum of people, a wide array of people. And it was in that context, the Lord began to soften their hearts, began to do a work in them. They, they sat, sat through services. They, they came to social gatherings and whatnot, but... Later that fall, I remember this account specifically of Brandon. The, the two of them were living together, of which I do not encourage, but the two of them were living together and uh, he came home from a, a, night, a late night gathering that some of the guys had had. And he came into the apartment, he burst into the apartment in tears. And he said, Skylar, I've never experienced this before. 
And I believe these guys actually love me. I've never experienced this fact that these guys, when they say they love me, I think they actually love me. And it was the thing that melted his heart. This was a Midwest kid. He doesn't show emotion. But it was the love of God manifest in people whose hearts were knit together that melted his heart. And I got to actually officiate Brandon Schuyler's wedding. Schuyler was actually one who was told that she'd never be able to have children. And now they have a full quiver because the Lord healed her in our community as well. It's the Lord's way. The Lord's way is to display his goodness and his beauty and his glory through a people submitted to each other's. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.